Rolling Dice and Taking Names is sponsored by The Broken Token, creator of high-quality gaming accessories and storage solutions. Visit them online at thebrokentoken.com. Was your New Year's resolution to become more educated about board games? Then you might want to listen to another show. But if you want to hear two good old boys laugh and talk about games, then stick around for Rolling Dice and Taking Names, where they review Stronghold 2nd Edition from Stronghold Games and discuss their holiday gaming and flying squirrels. Welcome to the first episode of 2016. You are listening to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode 83, Fortress Around Your Heart. My name is Marty. And I'm Tony. Tony, I have no idea what that song is. A sting. Police, Fortress Around My Heart. From what album? I don't remember. Uh, it's it, Only its greatest hits. Can you imagine that? So it's <laughs> on their greatest hits. So it doesn't really matter what album it's on, but it is so appropriate. No, it is. Because in this episode, we are going to be reviewing Stronghold, second edition from Stronghold Games by designer Ignacy Trevicek. Oh, you did that so well. Did that time off or in a way for me give you the ability to practice his last name yes that's that's what i spent the last two weeks of my holiday doing is practicing his last name that's it so what have you been up to well as you know i went on vacation and amazing amazing you know what the temperature's been around here i mean 70 degrees after christmas in the carolinas i was actually in the ocean new year's eve oh at the uh beach at the beach you were at the beach okay the water wasn't too cold? To a certain point, yeah. It might have been a little cold, but, you know, once you get used to it, it's not like I went out there and did some body surfing. It was just kind of fun to do. I mean, I mean, I mean to be able to walk on the beach in shorts and a T-shirt after Christmas, it was, it was wild. But now we've got this frigid air coming in. I don't know if I'll be able to survive that, but that's okay. What about you? How was your holidays? It, it was fantastic. It was time to kind of recharge the batteries. Had a great time with the family. Got to play a lot of games, which we'll be talking about in a little bit and did you get anything great for uh, Christmas game wise well of course I did I will talk about that but I did get my 10th anniversary edition of Ticket to Ride yeah baby that's the way it runs I can't wait to see that that sounds really nice and what about you what was the game that you were able to bring home to the or bring to the table as soon as the Christmas presents were all opened well I didn't actually get any games for Christmas this year what no I didn't I got little things I got little accessories and stuff Vanessa got me a gaming t-shirt and a gaming mug I did get from uh, my family the One Ring RPG book I had forgotten at Gen Con that I was very interested in this this RPG book I just thought it looks cool I love Lord of the Rings they got it for me not that I'll ever get to play it but I have it, and it's, it's really cool to read some of the lore and everything like that. I just love that universe. So I would love to be able to play it sometime, but if not, I've still got a great book just kind of read and look at pictures and stuff on the, when I don't want to pull it off the shelf. Now, I will have to say on my side, Re- Rebecca, my daughter, was sitting there, and I broke out Star Wars Risk. She was the only one that would be willing to play with me, and that would be one of the um, moments that we covered later. But she would not let me stop playing that game until she won as a rebel. Uh, I guess she pretty much dominated as the empire. Well, she wasn't imploring the appropriate strategy. And um, I finally, I didn't let her win, but I kind of said, you know, let me help you think through this a little bit. <laughs> and you have the black edition, right? Oh, good gosh. And did you get the black edition? I did. And you had told me how nice it was. I didn't really understand till I opened it. Holy cow. The board's like in foam. 
custom mm-hmm. cutout foam inserts that holds everything. It is incredible. I mean, I couldn't believe that that was only 30 bucks on sale on Amazon. Hey, I got my $30 already out of play. I don't care if it ever comes out of the cabinet again. I'm, I'm good with it, you know, but I do. I, I did. I like that game. It is amazing how much buzz that game has gotten since it's come out for just a simple Star Wars game from Hasbro. It's just one of those things. It's just fun. It's just a fun universe, and it's a fun game. It doesn't necessarily always have to be complicated and from a big gaming company. Not that Hasbro is not a big gaming company, but a big hobby gaming company. Exactly. Now, the one thing I will say from Christmas that the people out there in our our little universe, I got a new high-definition camera. I'm ready to get these five-minute Google, um, five-minute initiative reviews, video it out there. You people can just see how attractive I really am. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> now, I did get San Juan. My mom got me San Juan. She looked at my Amazon wish list. So you and I get to play San Juan sometime. You know, that's the card version of Puerto Rico. And as much as we love Puerto Rico, we got to give this a try. Please tell me how that is. Have you played it yet? No, I, it's you and me, buddy. You and me, oh. we'll play. I, I thought maybe you'd played it because that is, like, every time I see that game, it's like, I'm going to buy this. And then I, I never do, mm-hmm. but I think I would like it. So I, I can't wait to try it. How many people does it play? Oh, I don't know. Let's, let's flip the box <laughs> over a little bit. Two to four, man. Two to four. Yeah, so nobody got me my um, 10th anniversary of Puerto Rico edition, but that, that's all right. Hey, they dropped fifty dollars um, uh, of uh, One Eye Jacks out of Richmond. It's no longer two forty nine. It's a hundred and ninety nine dollars. Yes, my Grail, your Grail game. But my mom also she I must have she must have really liked me this year or something. She got me fifty gold medal pieces because you know I'm trying to pimp out the Puerto Rico. Oh, that's cool. Where did she get them from? Amazon wish list, man. You can't go wrong. So yeah, you can't actually. I got um, some Lord of the Rings uh, tokens. For the LCG? Ooh. Yeah, it's from the place that you told me about. Go Go 7, seven. Gaming. Oh, go, go 7 Gaming. Yep. They're, I mean, they're not as expensive as, um, not Broken Token, Team Covenant. Uh, those are a lot nicer, higher end. But for 20 bucks, it's just some really good basic acrylic tokens. So I'm looking forward to that. The only problem was, Tony, they didn't take the little stickers off the acrylic. <laughs> you know how acrylic comes in, in sheets and yeah. there's like a piece of paper on it? Yeah, there were like 40 tokens. There was stickers on each side, and I had to peel off the sticker on every single one of those things, and that took me forever. Well, it kept you entertained. That was the key to that. So I was trying to read on these tips on how to do it. It was either acetone. It's like, I don't have that much fingernail polish remover. Vanessa would get upset if I use all of it. So I just put some warm water uh, into a sink and then put some uh, soap into it and mm-hmm. just let them sit for a little bit. And they, they kind of peeled off. It wasn't too bad, but it was still a pain in the butt. But now that it's done, I've got a lot of nice tokens for us to use. I hear you. Now, one hey, thing. You know, I, yeah. Go ahead. What? Well, no, what? You were excited. What, what, what? Well, you mentioned earlier the uh, Grell game. You found one of my Grell games. Oh, sweet. I forgot about that. Yes, that was amazing. So there was a store, local store here, game store, that was going out of business. It was kind of nice. I actually talked to the owner. He said, I'm going out on top. I'm going out in the black. Uh, He said that uh, he was looking at it, having to do another five-year lease. He wasn't sure that he could do that. So he got out. He came out ahead. So that's great for him. But he was having a store closing sale, everything 50% off. So I went in there, Tony. And, you know, I called you and I said, hey, there's some Lord the ring stuff here i'll pick us up some stuff whatnot and then i left and you went like the day after or two mm-hmm. days later and you contacted me and said uh did you not see the starcraft brood war expansion and i was like 
No. I know. What's up, man? How could you have admit it was on the top shelf? I'm not taking a shot at your height or anything, <laughs> but I am saying it was high up. So I'm looking at this and I'm like, how did he pass this up? Did he have two copies? Because I'm like, does he actually have, if he had StarCraft the game there, forget our friendship. I would have had them both. You know what I'm saying? No, I know exactly what you're saying. I'd have been behind you 100%. So I w- when you contacted me, it's like, how in the world did I miss that? And you were like, do I need to get it? Yes, you need to get it. Because that thing, uh, 50% off, was only 30 bucks. And if you go on eBay and look, that thing is going, gosh, for anywhere from 100 to $200. And that's open. And that was sealed. NIB, baby. It is. And I haven't even taken the shrink wrap off yet because I'm I'm scared to. I, I'm, have you looked at all the cool things they do now with the game? And there's like different objectives for winning the game. It totally changes the base game. I think we're going to have to pull that out and try it. Oh, oh yeah. We got to do that. I mean, from the standpoint of just the nostalgia of the game when we love playing it. And then oh, there it is, the expansion. That that was cool. That was kind of I, I hate that poor Ryan. I understand he, he's going out of business to go out on top. Five-year lease. You can't really commit to that. Where's the hobby in five years? If you listen to us, you know you and I or I say that we're constantly on the edge or on the top of the bubble. It's going to explode. So I, I c- commend him for bringing gaming to our industry for hosting as much as he did and yeah um, when i went in there he was basically he was sold out of everything that's, that's good he's able to move all that merchandise now i was so excited you were getting ready to say something what were you going to say the thing i was going to say is we might as well we're not going to spoil it out we're not going to talk about it long but you and i both saw star wars and we would be remiss just not to mention our first impressions and then go and leave it at that I think I, th- I think we owe people at least that. You want to do that now? I want to do that now. Okay, before we do this, yes. let's go ahead and give, I assume this will be a spoiler-filled first impression, correct? Not for me. I'm going to have to. Okay. So let's let's go ahead and say, I mean, what, this has now been, the show has, the movie's been out for three weeks to a month. If you're listening to this, you've probably seen it, so let's just go ahead and say it now. If you have not seen this movie Jump ahead, go look at our webpage and see our timestamps and jump ahead to after the segment on Star Wars because we're getting ready to talk some spoilery stuff in three, two, one. I hated it. Absolutely hated the movie and I'll leave it at that. That's why I said I'm not going to spoil anything. Well, no, no, you just can't drop I hated it and say that's it. Why did you not like it? I was bored. I didn't care about the characters. I thought they would at least take the story somewhere else. I mean, from my standpoint, I would have been better off going down and watching, oh, I don't know, some animated flick. It was, I I did not enjoy my experience at all. Now, will I go and watch the other four movies that they're going to produce? I'll have to, just so I can say, if see if they improve it. But I, I mean, I've been posted this in the guild. Where are the handrails? Where's the cybersecurity? Come on, people. This is not hard technology. Let's go. Where do you compare this to the other movies? Uh, right above Jar Jar Binks. What? You have it just ahead of Phantom Menace? Yes. Absolutely. Wow. Okay. I almost fell asleep. Okay. I have, I have my issues with it. I, th- I was entertained. I enjoyed it. It was nostalgic. I love seeing the old characters. I think J.J. Uh, uh, Abrams does the best pilots Pilots meaning it's the beginning of a series, not like X-Wing fighter pilots. And I believe this movie is like a pilot to the trilogy. There's not a lot going on. It's mainly introducing characters. And I did like uh, Ray. I liked Finn, Poe. I liked Kylo to some extent. The, the biggest issue I had was I think they did too many callbacks 
to A New Hope. Mm-hmm. There were just too many similarities in some of the storylines. That's been noted many times by a lot of people. Uh, and, you know, from the things of, okay, there's this person that was left behind on this desert planet. And there happens to be this robot that, that contains this information that everybody's looking for. And in the end, there's this big weapon that if we can just get the shields down and go and attack this one small point, then we can blow it up, which sounds very familiar. Mm-hmm. Seen it. <laughs> and so that was my issue with it. I went and saw it a second time. And now that I knew that was coming, I enjoyed it a lot more. I mean, for me, I put it ahead of one, two, and three easily. Well, it's ahead of one. I I enjoyed it more than you did. It's it sounds like. Yeah, and I'm maybe I'm being, but I didn't go in there with any hype, and that's fine. And you know, and you've taught me, and I always forget. Hate is a strong word. I shouldn't use it, but it did. It was just, oh, I just, I was like, where are we going with this? And I understand. I understand all the points. And I understand all the discussions, and I'll lose a bunch of geek cred for this, but that's okay. I'm good with that. But I agree with you about JJ. When you when you posted that, you like how he does that because JJ was responsible for the um, Star Trek reboot, right? Correct. And how he took the con and how he twisted that—that's what I was hoping for. You know? Mm, okay. There, I think, was my expectations. Sure, and that makes sense. But I mean. To be honest with you, and a lot of people kind of laugh at Kylo Ren. To me, Kylo, we have a, finally have a villain that's complex. Okay. Uh, all the other villains that we've seen in the other movies, they're just mean. There's no depth to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Darth Maul, just a bad guy. Darth Vader, a bad guy. When we first saw in 4, 5, and 6, he redeemed himself at the end. But here's a guy that's struggling. He's tempted by the light. He, he's, he's teetering. So as opposed to the guy on the light side teetering towards darkness, here's a guy on the dark side teetering towards light. So that makes him a little complex to me. So I think you could have a lot of fun with him if they do it correctly. Right. I just think he has daddy issues. <laughs> well, he obviously does. We saw that. <laughs> and we didn't even spoil anything. So there you go. Let's leave it at that. Let's get back to the normal show so we can... You know, I said in a posting that, hey, we won't be doing this on. You got to do it. You had to say a little something about because, good gosh, it's going to make a ton, a ton of money. It's already made a ton of money. It is now in second place right behind Avatar. And who knows, by the time this episode comes out, it will blow by Avatar, which thank goodness, because that movie does not deserve to be number one. Yeah, but every time it's on TV, I watch it. I don't know why. I was not, now I'm going to lose a lot of cred. I was not an Avatar fan at all. At all. I can understand that. There's not a whole lot there. Uh, but, okay, well, this is but, not okay, a that's show. Like, <laughs> We're not going to go there. We're going to be doing a movie episode later on this year. Let's we'll get back to the regular content. And, Tony, I think I see some squirrels coming. Uh, oh, they're, they're in the cages. They need to be out. They need to be flying, man, because we've got a bunch of them, and we've contained them too long. And now it's time for Flying Squirrels, short discussions on topics that have our attention for now. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Well, it's been almost a month since we were on and the squirrels have been contained until then. So we're going to let those bad boys fly out here. If you haven't listened to us for two minutes, Marty and I are going to simply talk about whatever comes to mind. So here you go. Are you ready, Marty? Are you ready to get the squirrels going? I am so ready. 
go. Finally got a copy of the game that we had talked about before earlier in the year when we talked to designers Adam and Brady Sadler about Warhammer Quest Adventure Card Game. This is a game that is a fully co-op game where you can play anywhere from one to four players and you're kind of doing some dungeon diving. And if you want to go back and listen to the episode, we went into a lot of detail of how this game works. And let me tell you, Tony, this game works really well. I've really enjoyed it. It does kind of feel like some of the mechanics of uh, Lord of the Rings where you have a quest out in play. And during your turn, you have one of four actions that you can take that are specified on each of four cards. There's four classes. Each of the classes work a little bit differently. But some of the four actions you could take, you can take rest where you might can reset your cards. You can aid somebody else. You can explore and you can combat because Tony, just like in Lord of the Rings, there's an area in the middle in the shadows where monsters will come out and engage you and you need to be working with those monsters trying to take them down because at the end of every round those monsters are going to try to deal damage back to you kind of feels like lord of the rings doesn't it i would think so but so were you as engaged with the game as you are with lord of the rings did it keep your interest are you looking for playing it again did it beat you down like lord of the rings does oh it totally beat us down that's why i'm so looking forward to playing again because i realized we should have done a lot more exploring a lot quicker but the nice thing about it as opposed to lord of the rings is you don't have to build a deck or anything right you're you're given a deck at the beginning and And if you play through the campaign mode, you actually get some XP that you can use at the end if you succeed in order to upgrade your actions and make them better. And by doing so, you're, you become a little bit better over time as you go through the quest. So I think it works really well. You can get it to the table quicker than Lord of the Rings because, again, you ain't got to worry about the deck building. Plus, you ain't got to worry about all these other cards you got to buy in order to build the deck. It's a really good game. A lot of people are playing it now. It's hot. It was actually sold out for a little while. I'm so glad I got a copy. So go check it out. It is good as what we thought it might be. All right. So, Marty, you know as well as I... I cannot teach a game to save my hind end. I just can't do it, man. So I've played this game, Scoville, by Tasty Minstrel Games. Before, it's the one about collecting peppers. You remember talking to him about it, right? I do. I haven't played it in a while, and I'm on my vacation, and I've got a couple gamers here who all they remember about the game is it's got cute little peppers in it. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. I understand. And then I got two ga- two gamers here who aren't that big into Euro games. So I'm like, but here's a cute game. It's kind of neat. The mechanics are easy. It's real simple to play. So I'm sitting there and I'm trying to teach the game and I'm going out and I'm looking at it and I'm, I'm reading the rules before I break this out because I know one of the individuals, well, they have the attention span greater than a gnat, okay, but not much more than that. And, and they're not into it. They like the card games. They enjoy the quick hitters, not all, some strategy, but, you know, nothing that you got to, you know, just constantly wait on people hates waiting on people to play their turn so i'm breaking out scoville i'm teaching them the rules i'm telling them about the four phases and everything seems to be going well but oh my gosh that game drug on and on and on the box says 60 to 90 minutes marty 60 to 90 okay hour hour and a half gotcha this game lasted almost twilight imperium what? Okay, just seemed that long, but it was almost oh. <laughs> two and a half hours. Now, I'm, Jeez. I know, I know, two and a half hours to play a simple Euro game. And I'm like, what the heck is going on here? I'll admit, some people were having to look at the color chart and it wasn't coming, but I found out that I did one little thing wrong. And let me tell you. I guess you're going to tell me in an upcoming segment because it's my turn. That's right. My two minutes are up. It's your turn. (laughs) 
So a lot of people know that I have been really interested in trying to find a tower defense board game. And people have said, guess what? You need to check out Besieged that was on Kickstarter last year coming out from Cool Mini or Not Games. We got a copy, a retail copy of this game. And so I got to try it out and got to uh, play one game of it so far. It is kind of the mechanic of where you're a co-op and you have some enemies that are encroaching on your area and you kind of try to defend against them and not let them tear down your center area. But it's not really the tower defense game I was looking for, Tony. To me, Castle Panic. Have you played this before? Oh, yeah. I, I played it with you. Uh, you had the zombies one of it. Imagine Castle Panic, but with more meat. As in, it's the same sort of thing that each round, new monsters are spawned on the board that are ever so, every round are getting closer to you. They're marching towards you and doing damage to your walls and trying to break in. The more meat to this game is, is the fact that inside the Citadel, there are different areas that you can go. It's almost kind of like a worker placement where you have three actions and you can go to these zones and do different things. For example, you can get more equipment or maybe you can level up and get some uh, special abilities or you can make your strength higher or you can go and sit in the catapult and try to destroy some of the enemies out of the far reaches of the board or you can go heal yourself or you can go get some gold. There's some little resource management to it. So that's really cool. It has a nice little Euro feel to it, but at its core, it's more like Castle Panic and it's still not that tower defense game I was looking for where you have enemies coming across where you build things that you upgrade over time because the enemies keep coming quicker and quicker and you have to upgrade stuff to defeat them that's still the kind of the game i'm looking for yet besiege is still a decent game so if you're looking for like a castle panic with more meat to it this is it all right i was really interested in when that game came out besiege marty so i can't wait to play it and just compare it. i was a little concerned that more meat doesn't mean it's better than Castle Panic, but I can't wait to play it. So why am I going on about your topic? Because my next topic doesn't need a full two minutes, but by gosh, I'm going to take it. So <laughs> so I don't know if you, did you go by a Target by chance before Christmas? I did not. You didn't? How did you avoid Target before Christmas? Exactly. Uh, okay. Because I knew to avoid Target before Christmas. In Target, it got out on the interspace thingy out there that's still existing, the internet. And people were saying, hey, Target has this little game called Quicks, and it's on sale for $8. It was sold out everywhere. I don't know if you've played it, Marty. It's a simple dice rolling game. You've got four colors and two white dice, and you're trying to select, roll the dice, and mark off numbers. And my group down at the beach loved it, I guess, because it was very simple. So once again, all you're doing is there's a red, a green, a blue, a yellow track with numbers 2 through 12 or 12 through 2, depending on the color. So one person rolls the six dice. And when they roll those dice, the people who did not roll can look at the two white dice and add them together and mark it off on their sheet. Now, here's the trick. If you mark off a number, all the numbers to the left of that number are you can't mark off in future rolls. So the, the red and the yellow go 2 through 12. The blue and the green go 12 through 2. Real simple, really unique type of game that for $9, it is a quick filler. So if you have those light gamers out there and you can find it at Target, I highly recommend it. And then you total up the points at the bottom and you're good to go. But I will tell you this, it about created a Christmas meltdown at the McCree household. So another new game I got to try over the holidays is The Last Spike from Columbia Games. So, Tony, have you heard about this? Uh, I've heard about it, but that's about all I've heard about it. Yeah, that's because Columbia Games is not a very uh, huge gaming company. And this was uh, 
came out as a, a Kickstarter last year, and it's actually a kind of a remake of a game that was done in 1975. At its core, it's really simple. Uh, imagine that um, it is, we're trying to build a transcontinental railroad from St. Louis to Sacramento. And the board is broken up into like little train segments between cities where each, between each city, there's like four segments that's needed to complete a, a track. What happens is, is there's a bunch of black tiles that are used to fill in those, those tracks. And between each city, they're, they're labeled like, 1, A2, A3, A4, B1, B2, B3, B4, and they're, num- and they're labeled like that across the map, and there's one tile for each one. So each person gets four tiles, and on their turn, they take one of those tiles and put it on the board where it's indicated it should be uh, on the board, and you have to pay a cost. There's a cost to playing something that tile. Depending where it is, there could be different costs. If it's going across the mountains, it's going to be more expensive to build a track across the mountains. And after you place a tile, you have the option to, to buy some, to get a deed to some land, and there's like five deeds per city. So you can buy a deed to any one of the cities on the board. What happens is whenever you connect or complete a track between two cities, it pays out. The more deeds you have for a particular city, the more money that you're going to make. And so the course of the game is you're trying to lay out the track and trying to make sure to buy the cities that you think is going to have the most connection points to it. Like Denver has eight connections to it or some other place like St. Louis only has two. And you're going through this each course of the game. You, you place a tile, you buy some land if you want, you draw another tile. When there is finally a complete track all the way from St. Louis to Sacramento, the game is over. You add up your money, the person the most money wins. It is a sounds simple, but it's a really, really fun game. You know me, I love my train games, so I can't wait to play this one with you. Speaking of train games, and I mentioned this in the intro, Marty, I got my ticket to ride 10th anniversary, as you said. Everybody's like, why did you want this? Well, if you go back and listen to previous episodes, especially the one where we talk about our spouse game, the game that would be the game we would always want to play if we had to, I mentioned Ticket to Ride. Were the upgraded components worth it, Marty? Uh, were they? Oh, yes, they were. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I mean, to have the little giraffe stick their little head out of the cart, that's cute. The coal cars and, you know, the little passenger cars were all all neat. The bigger board is easier for those that were, you know, that could probably, you know, need a bigger board to, so they could see the tracks. Very well laid out. Gorgeous art. I'm really happy that I requested this. And, and the... I will, I will say this, though. I haven't put it on my other map collections that I have. Will the cars play on it? I haven't done that yet, so the jury is still out on that. But I did want to give a quick shout-out. I'm not going to pay. I hate to say this. I'm not going to pay $100 for a game. So I was talking to my wife about it, and I said, Oh, man, I, here's a ticket to ride. It's $50. And she goes, Well, why would you buy another one? I said, It's the anniversary edition. It's got all this cute stuff to it. And it's normally $100. Well, there's this store online, Marty, called One-Eyed Jacks on eBay, and they sell dented games, and he was selling it for $50. And I'm like, that's kind of risky, right? Sounds like it. The box came. It was slightly dented. No damage at all. He guarantees the components inside. So I'm giving away a little secret here. If yours a game you're looking for, you may want to go out to the Dent and Dean sell at One-Eyed Jacks on eBay to pick up a game that you've been looking for. Like right now, he's got, like I said, Puerto Rico for $200, Marty. I know it's burning a hole in your pocket, man. So the boys really enjoy playing Magic at the Card Game. And last year, 
uh, Wizards released a miniatures type game that kind of looks like Hero Escape called Magic Arena of the Planeswalkers. So that was kind of the family gift that I gave to the boys this year. And we got it Christmas morning. We, we got to play it. And it's, at its core, it's a miniatures game. And it, it really, at its core, it's Hero Escape because it has some of the hex tiles and everything. The difference is, is with Hero Escape, you had to use all the 3D hex tiles to, to create your map. Here, it's just some, some cardboard maps that you connect together. They do give you some um, hex pieces in order to build different levels, but it's really just the cardboard pieces that you use to build the board. This game can play anywhere from two to four players, and we played a teams. And what you do is each uh, side gets uh, one of the main colors and you know on the magic five magic colors and you get a planeswalker plus some creatures to use and what you do is on your turn basically you activate a creature you move you attack i mean it is a really straightforward miniatures game but it is a really well done solid miniatures game is every creature acts a little bit differently all the planeswalkers have different abilities uh, it's it's very tactical because you do have line of sight things that you deal with and elevations you have to deal with. The only quirky thing that I don't care for, I mentioned line of sight, it's really odd. Now, somebody told me this was just like Hero Escape, and this is odd. You know how for like for War Machine is very simple. If like if if I can draw a straight line from base to base, I can see this yeah. one. What you're supposed to do, Tony, is it tells you for each character where they're where they seeing from like where their eyes are you're supposed to get down and put your head behind <laughs> where you should be able to see and if you can see the other figure then you have line of sight <laughs> so while we're playing this game everybody's putting their head down the table it's like i can see it's very subjective I wasn't crazy about that line of sight rule at all, but other than that, it is a is a really fun game. It's a dice based attack, a dice based attack game, so there's some luck to the rolls. But it's very cheap. You can get it on sale from anywhere from twenty to thirty bucks on Amazon. Highly recommend it. Great game for kids for learning a miniatures game. Arena of the Planeswalkers. All right, I gotta extend this a little bit. That's kind of thematic, though. I can see you. <laughs> well, that's what it was. We had a, like a three-minute argument of whether somebody could see somebody else. <laughs> because if you moved your head just a little bit left or right, you could see it. Then you couldn't see them. So, again, a very subjective line of sight rules. But aside from that, fun game. Okay. So, we're going to use my two minutes to talk about this. Because this okay. is kind of funny. Because I can't. I can imagine somebody sitting there. Going just like when we would play war as a kid, you go, I can see you, man. You're behind the bush. No, I'm not. Yeah, you are. I can see you. Can't see me through that bush. Oh, man, that is hysterical. But it is so, I like it. I'm sorry. Do you? I do. Well, it was weird. It was weird because like uh, one of the beasts had their arms cocked, like his his uh, his uh, hand was on his uh, hip, mm -hmm. and it was like, yeah, I can see between the nook between his elbow and his chest. I can see the other figure. We're used to playing War Machine, and with War Machine, it's simple. If you could draw a straight line from the base to a base, you can see it. So everybody has these nice laser pointers, mm -hmm. you know, where you could have the laser line between your base and another base. If that line's not broken, then it can be seen. Well, you can't do that sort of thing here. So, again, I know it's quirky, and I know it's it's probably I'm making a, a mountain out of a molehill, but it just really kind of bothered me. Yeah, but if you put the laser sight right on top of the guy's head that you can look through and then shine it and hit the guy and it points at him and adjusts it just enough so it goes through the guy's armpit, underneath his armpit, and <laughs> nails somebody, why not? You're a marksman, man. You can make that shot. You can adjust for wind, calibrate accordingly, fire that fireball, cinch his armpit hairs, and make it work. I can see this. The game starts out with it's very, there's no army building or anything. Basically, you put all of one color on 
on the board and that's it. They're getting ready to release an expansion in January so that you can start doing some sort of army building. And it works where every creature and planeswalker has points. So it's a point points based system where you play a you know 300, 400 point game or whatever. But there what's neat is there's also a deck of cards that's involved. And these deck of cards are your spells. So during your turns, you can put like enchantments or enhancements onto creatures or you can play instants. So they bringing in the magic card game into this game by having those uh, that that deck you can build so that's kind of a cool aspect also and it's not a collectible correct it, it is not it's basically it's it's kind of like x-wing you know what you're going to get it's not a random booster or anything like that i'm going to quickly jump into a game that i got to play called the cookie marty i know you've heard of the cookie by gaga games i have not heard of the i've heard of lady gaga Lady Gaga, yes, but no. The Cookie is a game from a Russian um, publisher. He sent it over to us to just take a look at it. And I said, you know, uh, the Cookie sounds interesting. I like the premise. I think I finally found my social deduction game, Marty. Finally. Finally. Then I need to play this. Actually, it's not that hard, so that's why I finally found it. There's no elimination. However, you're playing cards trying to determine who is your nemesis and who you should attack. So you're trying to figure out who to defend from and who to attack based on cards turning over during a set amount of turns. Very simple, but very deductive reasoning. While we were on vacation, I I let the young adults play this, the 20 year old something, and they were having a blast trying to convince one another that, no, they weren't the cookie. They weren't the blue blob. They weren't strontium 37. They weren't the Persians and all of this. And it worked really well. It's a very interesting game. Now, I will say this. It is beyond simple because a certain amount of cards come out. And then if you defend or attack the right person, you get victory points. So guess what? It's a Euro game. You're getting victory points. Okay, maybe it's not. (laughs) But anyway... It's a cute little game. I appreciate them letting us give it a try. And it's called The Cookie. Take a look at it. It's been out a while. Um, it's not very readily available over here, but it's it's a good thinky type game for young children. Not young, young, like six years old. I'm talking the, the mid-teens. So I finally got to try a game that I was excited about when I heard last year called The Golden Ages from Stronghold Games. This is a light civilization game that doesn't take three to four hours. It plays quick. It's your basic Civ game. Everybody has boards. They have tech trees that you're trying to work through. And Tony, we like our tech trees. Love our tech trees. Love them. And it's everybody's given workers, and you put workers out on the board, and you can explore different areas. They give you resources. And depending on how your tech trees work, maybe you have a better ability to, to manage these types of resources maybe than somebody else. And the game takes place over, well, several golden ages where you're kind of starting way in the past and you get to the modern age. And like with a lot of Civ games, Tony, you can do things like, like I said, like upgrade your tech tree or maybe build a wonder, you know, kind of like the stuff you see in Seven Wonders. They have some of the same wonders in there. Mm -hmm. Like I said, there is some little bit of a worker placement thing where you have to use workers to be able to have different abilities, like maybe buy a wonder or buy a building and buying buildings give you new abilities. But one thing that I really liked was this. It was the passing mechanic. At the end of your turn, when you were totally done, you said, I pass. But everybody else could keep playing. If they kept playing and it got back to you again, you got money. So the longer they played, the more money that you got. So passing early might be a strategy. 
that was something that all of us at the table really liked. But what was weird in the third age when you passed, it went one more round and the game was over. So there was this odd dynamic where in the first couple ages, you could play as long as you wanted until you finally said, okay, I passed, even though you may have given people a lot of money. But in the very last age, it was like, well, you got to kind of get everything you want to get done because as soon as somebody passes, you only have one more round to go and it's over. That kind of bothered some people at the table. And it's one of those things that we really need to play again because now that we see how that works, we would do that last age a lot differently. Well, it sounds like something I definitely need to get a try because I love Seven Wonders and you know that. Well, it's not Seven Wonders. There's Wonders in it, but it's not necessarily Seven Wonders. I know, but but, but Wonder, okay, you know what I mean. I love cards, love tech trees, so why wouldn't I like it? So anyway. I don't know. You'd like the combat too. Oh, I would. I'm I'm going I'm going into your minute and a half. That's okay, but I'm used to that. I'm good with that. So anyway, because <laughs> my stuff is very light. Because I'm not like you. On my vacation, I didn't get to play a lot of heavy games. Except, well, we will get back to that. I did get to play another one. I was looking forward because I got to play it at BGG Con, and that was called Rolling America. I got to play Rolling Japan, and Marty, this is a Sudoku esque type game where once again you're pulling dice out of a bag and based on the color of the dice you roll them you can fill up areas on a country i talked about rolling japan previously rolling america very similar a lot more spots they've added instead of changing the color you can guard a number so you don't have to match it for me to explain it it's more or less like all right you roll two numbers if you roll a five and you put it in one of these little boxes in the country and and the chart that you're filling out looks like america if you put a five in north carolina you may only put a five next to it or a six or a four real simple right yes well if so it goes around if that dice comes out in a later round someone rolls and they put a three and you can't put it next to a five you got to put x so whoever has the least amount of x's wins the game it was making people's heads hurt down at the beach. They were like, why is this so hard? Why is this so difficult? And I'm like, well, because there's a lot of luck involved because you don't know when the dice are coming out. You don't know when you need to use certain color changes, guards, things like that. So if you like those types of games, it's a great filler game for people. I would highly recommend that you give it a try. Look for it. It was at Target. And uh, it's one of those games that I think I will only get out occasionally, not as much as I will quicks. At Gen Con, I got to demo a game from Callus Game Labs called Wrath of Dragons, and I really like the idea behind this game. In fact, this is one of our pre-Gen Con show things where it's like, this is a game I was excited about trying. The idea is that you're playing a dragon, playing over multiple centuries, 600 centuries, where you are trying to destroy villages and collect resources. That's it. You, instead of collecting resources, Tony, you're trying to destroy them. Okay, actually, as you destroy them, you actually collect them and but you know thematically it's anyway here's the deal really straightforward everybody's a dragon and it's an action selection mechanic and at the beginning of the game you only have so many actions that you can select from to do to uh, maybe uh, get some additional resources or draw some additional cards that are used during the attack phase and what happens is everybody places their dragon on one of several uh, pie-shaped areas of the board When your dragon is there, you can attack different things. You can kill nobles or burn the fields or destroy villages. And what you're trying to do over the course of the game is collect all these resources. And then at the end of the game, there's this mechanic of whoever has the most nobles gets points. Whoever has the most wheat gets points. Whoever has the most these cities gets points. 
But what's neat is we found out after playing this game is the thing is to get all these cards and during your turn doing these combos. Like, I'm going to play this to get a noble to heal myself, to play this card to do an attack, to play this card so I can move my dragon over here to do another attack so I can get this card or this ability. So it's really, we find out that's kind of how the game is supposed to work. And what's cool is too is over, as the centuries increase, there's more actions, selections that are opened up. So you have limited actions at the beginning and a lot of actions at the end. My only nit pick thing was when you collect your resources they're hidden from everybody else so you really don't know how you do until the end of the game like i thought hey i won by having the most nobles we all showed our behind the cards it's like oh i came in third on nobles so that's one aspect of it and i think they have it there to keep people from having ap is what we decided but i really need to try that again to see how what i really think about it well marty i finally got to play a game that i've only played on the xbox and that is carcassonne did I say that right? Is it Carcassonne? Sure. Sure. Okay, that will work for us. I finally got to play the physical tile-laying game, the re-release from Z-Man Games that includes The River and the Abbot. And we were that was one of the heavier games we were playing. So the people that I was talking about, they don't really like Euro games. They love Carcassonne. They love playing that game. And I was like, yeah, teach it to me. I mean, I've only played it on the Xbox, and it's been forever since I've played it. No one really ever plays it around here. And they go, why? And I go, well, there's so many other good games games out there so we were playing it and donna loved it absolutely loved it man i she didn't like alhambra but she loved this game i'm like alhambra is a tiling game sort of kind of yeah and she's and she's like, yeah but i like this so much better i go would you play this as a two-player game does it play well as a two-player game i asked our friends and they said yeah it's a great two-player game especially if you don't do all the expansions and do the big box and things like that probably and i'm like okay keeping it simple but i will say this of all the times i played it there i kept drawing roads that was so frustrating you score, everybody knows how you score points. You score points by building castles and by owning this land or being on this road. If you complete the road, you get this many points, yada, 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 so forth and so on. My luck of picking the tiles, it's kind of like rolling dice, Marty. You picked a tile. It was another stupid road. I couldn't place another meeple on it because I already had a meeple on a road, or as our friend calls them, mercens. Mercens. Oh, because it's a person. Exactly. And then the collective is a meeple. Uh, oh, so, anyway. so how was this how was the scoring in this was it a pain playing no the, the board oh okay i'm going to be buying it pretty soon i'm going to buy i mean it's sold out everywhere but i will be buying it again but i was just like this is the one nit i had about playing this whole time the entire time i was there i didn't even score in our first game until the very end because i drew nothing but roads. one of the big kickstarters last year from cool me or not was zombie side black plague and I got a copy of the retail version. And let me tell you, they have done some really good upgrades to this over the previous versions of Zombie Side. And the main thing is the player board. Everybody knows about the, the player boards that you have in Zombie Side, where it's just basically a piece of cardboard. And to keep track of things on the board, you have markers that you slide up and down on the card, or you have uh, when you get your cards or equipment, they just kind of stack on top of each other and you track your. Uh, different things on the board, little tokens. And if you hit the car, they're going to slide everywhere. With the zombie side player board, use pegs to mark everything. Use pegs to mark your life. They have a nice uh, slider thing for tracking your threat or noise or experience level uh, down at the bottom. They even have a stackable area where you can put your equipment and whatever you have in uh, your hands, there's two little slots for them to put, put in the tray. So if you accidentally bump it, 
you're not going to have cardboard flying everywhere because those the pegs going to stay in place to keep everything marked. Oh, it is really good. As far as the game itself, it's basically zombie side except takes place in fantasy time. So replace guns with magic and you have spells. They did kind of upgrade how you do uh, ranged. You can now fire into a zone with an ally and, and ha- have a good chance of not hitting them. They also have a necromancer that may come out that introduces a new spawn point. So that's a couple new elements to it. But the main thing is that new player board. And I really hope that Cool Me or Not releases... The uh, figures for the previous versions of Zombie Side and some new player boards. All they'd have to do is uh, come out with the new character cards and make the and make these boards. I don't know that they would do that, but if they did, it would sell like crazy because there are a lot of copies of Zombie Side out there that people like to take advantage of this. But Black Plague hopefully be shipping soon. So if you got the Kickstarter, you're really going to enjoy this game. It's all the fun of of uh, Zombie Side with the fantasy flair, magic, and really sweet boards. So this is what I did wrong in Scoville, Marty. <laughs> oh, we're back to this We're back now. to this. <laughs> two big epic fails that I wanted to readdress here in my last two minutes of, the, of Flying Squirrels. So in Scoville, the rule is simple. When you're harvesting the peppers, when you walk between two plants, you get a pepper. Real easy. Except when you gloss over it the night before and you don't remember that. And then you're playing and you say, when you finish your movement, you get the pepper you end on. So we were collecting just one pepper, turn after turn after. It drug on forever because of my epic fail on the rules. So later, my daughter and the young adults are playing Scoville, my daughter, and I'm going over the rules with them, and I say that, and Rebecca looks at me and goes, Daddy, you're wrong. I go, I'm wrong. She goes, yes. You collect peppers every time you move between the peppers. How could you be so stupid? And I'm like, you're absolutely right, daughter. I was stupid. And everybody and all the adults look at me and go, oh, my God, you mean that game could have been over an hour and a half? I thought they were going <laughs> to kill me, man. It's a lynching. It was a lynching. And the and the meltdown at the McCree household on Christmas Day when playing Quicks. One of the things in Quicks is you cannot lock a dice. When you lock dice, if you can have at least five marks before you roll a 12 or a 2, depending on the color of the dice. My mom reads it. She goes, So when I mark the 12, I'll have at least five. And I go, no, mom, you have to have at least five before you mark the 12. That makes no sense. And then my niece jumps in. Well, that's one of the dumbest rules ever. And I'm like, why is that a dumb rule? And they go, because it says you should mark it at at least five. I says, no, it's at when you're at least five, you may mark this. That was 30 minutes. There was turkey flying on the table everywhere when we were done with that one. It was not, oh, it was awesome. But anyway, there, my epic fell at Scoville. And Quicks. And Quicks. It's all over, Bullwinkle. Tony, you know how I just mentioned Zombie Side earlier? Yes, you sure did. I can't wait for it to show up on my doorstep to play. <laughs> well, that's for Black Plague, but guess what? If you happen to own the previous versions of Zombie Side any season, Broken Token just came out with an insert for you to hold the seasons plus the uh, each individual season plus the expansions for that season. You're able to put all your miniatures into their original box and keep them organized like you would any other Broken Token insert? That's exactly right. And a lot of people have been clamoring for a good way to keep their Zombie Side stuff together and everything, and Broken Token has finally done it. So if you're interested, go check out the new Zombie Side inserts at thebrokentoken.com.
Tony, in 2015, there was one game that both you and I were very excited to play, and that was the Stronghold 2nd Edition. When we found about, out about this earlier in the year, we were both so excited to try it, and we actually got to sit down with the designer himself, Ignasi, and BGGCon and play our first game. Yeah, and we've mentioned that in a previous show where he looked at me and basically said, what are you doing? You are not playing this well. And all it's only Ignasi can do. And we were like, man, two, we, were, we, were, we were really concerned that this four-player game being dummied down to a two-player game would not hold it on its own. But I'm wrong, Marty. Originally, it was just a two-player game with a four-player option. So it was not dummied down from four to two. <laughs> No, you're, you're right. It was a two-player. But we, you, when you and I played the original, we always played it with the four-player option. You're right. That's correct. We played it as teams. And in this version, uh, he did away with that in order to be able to streamline it and just make it a two-player-only game, which is exactly what this is. And for people who don't know, Stronghold is basically this. There is a stronghold, a castle that you are trying to defend against attackers that are coming in from all areas across the board. And these attackers are evil things like orcs and trolls and goblins and you as the defender must defend the walls by uh, leveling up troops uh, uh, training uh, veterans and, and marksmen and and putting up cauldrons to, to pour oil onto the people as they attack the walls and keep them from breaching the walls tony that's that's the whole concept yeah storm the castle i mean but we can't be unfair to it but i think well that's nothing but castle panic but it's not. I mean, Castle Panic is simply playing cards and moving little monsters at your walls. This is a lot of strategy. This is mono e mono. This is, I'm going against you. I'm trying to figure out how to best build my attack engine. I'm trying to faint on your left side of your stronghold and really come at you on the right side. Did I trick you into putting a trap over here that you really should have put over there? I mean, Stronghold 2nd Edition... Well, I think you and I will get to play this as much as any game when it's just you and me on game night. Ignacy said it best when he was teaching us. He said, uh, this is a basically an asymmetric game. And he said, the defender is all about tactics, responding to what the attacker does. The attacker is long-term strategy. So when the attacker sits down, you have to kind of start playing out in your mind a plan that you want to try to attack the castle with. Meanwhile, as the defender, you're just looking and seeing what they're doing and acting appropriately. And that will always stick with me. And the gameplay is so different between, between the two in the actions that you take. So for the attacker, the long-term strategy, it actually happens over a course of phases. And these phases are represented by cards that I have out in front of me. So like, for example, Tony, at the very beginning, I need to get supplies. So I'm going to draw some new uh, attackers out of a bag, which can either be orcs or goblins or trolls of varying strength of one, two or three. And once I have those in play, I'll get some wood that I can use to be able to build things. For example, like machines where I can build ballistas or catapults and trebuchets. But by doing so, it's going to take time. So when I choose, for example, to build a trebuchet, it's going to cost me so many units uh, to be able to create that because I need to assign these orcs and trolls to do so. And basically by doing that, Tony, I'm giving you time. That's right. You're giving me time to prepare the defenses of my castle. Now, your def the time you're giving me depends on the strength of your unit, which we'll cover later because you, depending on how many guys you need to 
do it will give me the number of hourglasses I need to build something. So while you're building those siege weapons, maybe I'm in the workshop. I'm enhancing the towers. I'm putting up ladders that allow me to put extra defenders on it. Or maybe I'm doubling up my wall sections. Or better yet, maybe I'm putting poles there where I can sit over the wall and stab you. Go, die, orc, die, goblin. I don't want you out there. But meanwhile, while you're building siege, then you have another option. Yeah, sure, because then right after that, after you've, after you've taken whatever time I've given you or hourglasses I've given you for that phase, we go to the equipment phase where maybe I decide, you know what, I want to build a ladder so I can scale those walls, or maybe I need to build a bridge to keep you from putting a trap there to keep, uh, which would block certain types of enemies from being able to cross, or maybe I put poison in place uh, that could affect you. And each of those again costs time, and for every unit of time I give you, I give you hourglasses that you can use. And now suddenly, more time means, hey, I think you're going to come over there. I'm going to send guys out and we're going to build traps. So I use my hourglasses for traps. I can put those out there. But all traps, I can't stop everybody. I have to decide, do I want to stop your trolls? Do I want to stop somebody else? Do I want to stop your siege towers coming at me? Or better yet, maybe I need to strengthen my walls by moving my units around. That costs time too. So I'm over there trying to deal with, with moving people. But how else are you going to hurt me, Marty? Maybe I can make an artillery man, which will make my machines more accurate. And Tony, we didn't talk about this. The way the machines work is really cool. When I build like a trebuchet, I take a deck of cards and I, and I build a deck with four misses and two hits. And whenever I attack, I draw one of those cards. If it's a miss, it's out of the game. If it's a hit, it stays in the deck. So over time that trebuchet is going to get more accurate. And with my artillery man, I can automatically remove one of those misses, but I can do training of anybody. Again, just giving you more time to defend against me. Fine. You want to train somebody? I'm going to train somebody. I'm going to go to my barracks, and I'm going to train some troops. I'm going to move some of my weak little marksmen who pew, 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 shoot little arrows at you, and I'm going to make them into soldiers. Or maybe I'll take the soldiers and strengthen them into veterans. I'll use the time while you're training. I'll train my guys too. What do you think about that? Well, fine. Then if you do that, it's going to come back to me. And maybe I want to do some sort of ritual. I've got my shamans out there that can do rituals. Maybe like one called Bloodstone, where I can target a certain siege machine that when it hits a wall, it also kills a defender unit. Or maybe I want to call up a demon so that uh, when you perform an action in a building, it's going to kill one unit in your courtyard so I can do all these little deceitful things that you may not know about. But again, ritual, that summoning everything is going to cost me time that I have to give to you. Fine. Go ahead and build your little bonfires, dance around, scream out to your unholy ritualistic gods. I don't care because while you're doing that and you're distracted by your rituals, my scouts are going out and they're going to mal put a malfunction on your ballista or your catapult or your trebuchet so it doesn't fire. Or better yet, I will call on the holy ones to come down and put an unearthly glare and make the attacks on the wall come forth. And you can't see, kind of think of 
Gandalf and his scepter out there blinding everybody. You can't see. What do you think of that, big boy? There ain't not much I guess I can do about it except, you know what, it's time for me to move my guys out. And so for the last phase that I'm going to get to do, it's going to be my maneuvers and orders. That's where I'll take any leftover units that I have, such as goblins, orcs, and trolls, and I put them on the board, and I put them in the forge. There's three different zones in the forge. The forge, the rampart, and the walls. And I distribute those guys out, and then I move. Starting from the ramparts, I can move up to five units from a rampart to a wall, and then five units from a forge to a rampart. And so I can encircle your castle any way that I want to, trying to get units up to the walls to try to take those walls down and kill the units. But you know what? The option I have in moving units, the more units I, I move is the more hours I'm going to give to you to do things against me. So we have spent all of our time planning, getting ready. I've finished that. I've taken that last minute of time and I've had the cannons finished off. Or better yet, I took those last few hours that you've given me before you begin this off and put some cauldrons on the wall. I've spent those last precious moment building my defenses right before the assault occurs. And then I see you coming. Your goblin heads are poking above the, the trenches out there, above the ramparts. And I fire my cannons. And I do this by flipping over a card. And that's my ranged combat. And that card shows me who did I hit, who stuck their head up above too high, and I take his head off with my cannon shot. What do you think of that? What are you going to do now? Well, since you're going to take out some of those guys, then it's my turn to fire my siege machines. And for every siege machine that I have, I have those decks that I talk about that I constructed. I flip over the top card. If it's a hit, then it does whatever that type of siege machine does. For example, if it's a trebuchet, it takes out a, a piece of the wall for it's a ballista, it hits some units on the wall. If it's a miss, it just comes right out of the deck because you know what, Tony? That just means I'm aligning my uh, siege weapon so that over the course of the game, they get more and more accurate. Then what you're going to do after that happens? Well, my marksman, they are going to send down a rain of arrows on you. They are going to let the feathers loose. Shoot, they may even shoot a few flying squirrels over the wall. I don't know. Whatever they're going to do, they're going to attack you with that marksman shot. And they're going to take out whoever they can, provided you have not gotten to the walls and engaged them. Because if they're in hand-to-hand -hand combat, they can't fire. So my marksmen fire. Well, let's say we are at the walls. What are you going to do then? Well, I won't pour the cauldrons if I was smart enough to burn them on you. Now, I'll admit, to kill some of the trolls or kill some of the goblins, you know, I've got to make sure the right mixture's in the cauldron. So when I turn that over, it's going to only kill those certain guys. Or better yet, my poles, like I said, I'm going to stick you with them. I'm going to come out of the ramparts or out of the wall, and I'm going to go stick, 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 and, and beat you down or, or make you um, fall off the walls that way. So that's what I'm going to do. Well, then guess what? Then maybe I've actually put out orders out there. Maybe I've made the goblins go berserk, which makes them more powerful. Of course, they die right after that. Or maybe I've, I've called in an extra troll that you weren't expecting to come in and fight. So then those orders will be resolved. And then after all, all that's said and done... Then we just have to kind of sit back and see who's going to win at each section of the wall. That's all right. We're resolving our strength. Who is stronger? Now, 
How do we tally that up? Well, it all depends on the type of unit that you have out there. For instance, my marksmen are worth one strength. My soldier is worth two strength points. My veterans are worth three points. My wall has a certain strength. And then, of course, there are other intangibles that come into play, such as I might have a hero, an officer, or a warrior standing down there rallying the troops. All that strength on my side is combined and compared to your strength, which is... Which my goblins are worth one strength and the orc is worth maybe two and the troll is worth three. So we add all those up and whoever exceeds in the battle is going to end up killing some units on the other side. So if I exceed your strength, that amount of difference is called the advantage. And then you have to take the difference in advantage and kill off that number of strength units from your side. In reverse, if you have the advantage over me, then I have to kill off my guys. Now, if ever for some reason reason if my advantage exceeds the total strength of units that you have left on the wall then that's a breach and I'm going to win the game but Tony guess what What? if I didn't breach we're going to go to the next round and if after seven rounds I have not breached your stronghold you will win the game. That's right, because you only brought so many orcs, goblins, and trolls to the fight. And you've, you've sent them all, and they've all faced the end. They've met their maker, as it should be. Yep, seven rounds, we're done. Now, one thing I must say, Marty, is when I lose guys, I can send them to the hospital. You can't do that, can you? No, I can't. But now you can only keep a couple when they go to the hospital So you can't train new guys either. So yes, once a guy is dead, you do get to heal up a couple guys, but I don't get to heal any of mine. They're they're straight out of the game. And Tony, I think they've done a really good job with uh, the color coding of this because we both have three colors of units, white, green, and red, and they're both the same strengths, but with different names. All whites are ones, all greens are twos, all reds are threes. And you'd mentioned the cauldrons. If you put up a red cauldron, it kills trolls. You put up a green cauldron, it kills orcs. Uh, The color coding uh, really works well. But you know what? Tony, there's really no luck in this game whatsoever, except for the flipping of the cards. I agree. And the one time we were playing, you just happened to flip a card where I was the invader and you were the defender, and you've pulled a complete and total miss. And I think you did it in the second game, too, where the card kind of, you had me. But then again, I let one wall die down. So I agree with you. Minimal, minimal luck, especially when it comes to the siege weapons, you pulling out those misses. You're right. Boom. That's brilliant. Bam. Here it is. Let's just talk about uh, theme for a second. Theme. Mm. Tony, wouldn't you say this is pretty much a 100% Euro? Yeah, there's some card draw, but this is really a Euro game. There's no dice rolling for combat or anything. You know exactly who's going to win the fight. When those, when my guys are against your guys, for a Euro to have such a rich theme as this does, it just blows me out of the water. Because typically when you think Euro, right, there's some sort of, we're pushing cubes around and what? Okay, it's a Roman era. It's a, some sort of European era. It's a, you know, it's, let's just get victory points. That's not the case with this game. This is a Euro game with incredible thematics. But when we talk theme, I mentioned this earlier. If you're building a siege weapon and you have a stronger guy, he can do it in less time than the weaker guys. So it makes sense that my troll only gives you one hourglass to spend when I have two orcs 
that have to build it, and I give you two. They're not as strong. They can't do it. It makes sense that maybe we build a trap for other people, and the other ones can get over it, and and because we build it for trolls or something. No, everything should kill a troll. Well, not, maybe not necessarily. Maybe the spikes are too far apart. It does work. And what's so cool about this is this has a resource mechanic that both Tony and I love to death. Uh, meaning it's the sort of thing where uh, one person is giving resources to the other by how much they want to do. When we're talking about giving time. We're actually talking about physical hourglass tokens that Tony is going to pull from his supply and put on his card. So for example, if I give him three tokens, hourglass tokens, he may assign all three of those to the cannon. It takes three hourglass tokens to create a cannon, or maybe he assigns two to a cannon and one to a cauldron to try to prepare a cannon to be done later on. He uses his hourglasses however he wants. Each thing he wants to do costs a certain amount of time. If I don't want to give him a lot of hourglasses, then maybe I don't do a lot. Maybe I skip a lot of phases and try to get right to the end and not give him a good chance to build up a defense. And I will say one thing. One thing about this game that may be daunting when you start reading the rules is setup. Oh my, oh, you got to put all these pieces, but the board is so beautifully laid out, so easily marked. You can quickly set this game up in no time. You keep keep all the guys in the bag you set the orders up that's probably the hardest thing about this is getting the orders for the attacker figured out at the beginning but once you get that down a couple of times marty i think that's real easy so setup even though it may look daunting at first it's real hey defender go set up your forces it's real simple it's marked on the board attacker get your orders in line because everybody else is stuck in a bag and pull out what you need and get the wood ready and bam you probably can get this thing set up in under five minutes if you have it well separated that's true but there are a lot of components to this and it does look very intimidating when you first start setting it up and you can go through the rules and it tells you how to, to set everything up and get it done and I will say people may wonder what's the difference between this edition and the previous edition. And actually, Ignacio earlier in the year had posted an article on BGG explaining what the difference was. And it was basically three main things. One, there used to be a glory board in the first edition, uh, which could be used in order to determine winning conditions. He did away with all that. Basically, it's this. If the evader can get into the castle within seven rounds, he wins. Otherwise, the defender wins. So he makes it very simple, the winning condition. He also wanted people to start quicker. Uh, that's why in the second edition, the invaders begin with forces already on the board marching. So there's not a lot of uh, a setup. You can start fighting that first round. In addition, they've also given objective cards and defensive plans. So if Tony is the defender, he's going to get this one card, random card out of the deck, which he can use in order to give him benefits. And likewise, the attacker will get a random card at the beginning of the game, which might give them benefits. It's it's a little more streamlined. It plays quicker. The the art is is gorgeous. So it's those tweaks right there, which really make it excel over that first edition. Bringing us back to another point, Marty, on the def- on the attacker, God, I can't even think, cards that give them the planning, the phases, the phases of the attacker. There it is, finally. It's from a standpoint of being able, I've built all the siege engines I need, then you can get rid of those cards. 
I don't know if we mentioned that, just how well that works. No, we didn't. There's actually several phases where there's multiple cards per phase, but not all of them are in play. And so at the beginning of the turn, you have the options of removing some of those phase cards. Like Tony said, let's say I don't want to build any more trebuchets. So I remove the trebuchet card from play and instead replace it with the siege tower. So now this turn, I can build a siege tower. That's what makes the attacker so strategic because you're constantly having to flip through all these different cards that you have available to you. And at the beginning of the turn, try to determine whether you're going to switch out cards and do something different this turn. Whereas the defender is seeing those cards are faced down the table. So you can see what's going to happen. He can try to plan based on according to what cards were changed in and out each turn. Yes. We've sung the praises of the game. Are there any negatives, Marty? To me, and y'all know why he threw it to me because we both have kind of agreed the same thing. <laughs> you know, you're going to make me sound like the okay, bad guy. Okay, I'll, I'll be the bad guy. It's nothing. I've, I can go out there and say it because I've already mentioned it on a previous podcast. When Steven was on our podcast last year, where I mentioned the rule book. OMG. Oh, my gosh. And Ignacy admits it. He, like we stated earlier in the show, this rule book had a lot of work that needs to be done. They've corrected a few things, but just the flow and everything. The game itself has a lot of text to it. Once you learn it, it's all in the rule book. It's not really on the cards. You've got to look at the rule book and see it. But once you've learned it, you've got it. So, Lord, if you go on a hiatus, you're going to have to relearn all this stuff from it. But it's all there. And some of it's not very clear, Marty. No, it's not. I mean, it's it's simple things like at the beginning when it tells you to set up, you get like four hourglasses that the defender does to start the game. But then there's this thing about don't forget at the beginning of the turn to get two hourglasses. But then in the book, it also says at the end of the turn, the defender also gets two hourglasses. So we were were kind of confused. On the first turn, do you get four plus two to start or do you get four and then not get the additional two at the end of the turn? So we had to clarify some of this and you actually get six. That was clarified. And the reason why this was clarified is Rodney Smith is right now in the process of recording one of his videos for Stronghold. And he knew I had played a few times and he kept pinging questions off me to say, what did you do in this rule? How did you understand this rule? And we actually had a pretty long conversation about different things that just weren't too clear to us. So he reached out to Portal and they cleared up the questions. And Rodney had this pretty long document he sent me that answered a lot of questions that were just kind of left up in the air from the rule book. A lot, so there's going to be some facts coming out to make it uh, more understandable. Plus, check out Rodney's video because he has really clarified a lot of this stuff that you might just not pick up in the rule book itself. That's right, people. We are now the rule clarifiers for Watch It Played. <laughs> well, he just bounced <laughs> ideas. I don't know that I clarified anything. But one of the things was, you know, we talked about breach, Tony, and how do you actually win the game? And what does a breach really mean when the advantage is more than the units that are defending? That was somewhat confusing because heroes and walls can help increase your strength, which will help for your advantage overall. But if you lose, when you sacrifice people or kill people off, you can't sacrifice a wall section or a hero. It must be units. That's why if there's if the advantage is higher than the strength of the, the units, that's why you win. That is one of those things we had to read three or four times in the rule book before we kind of really understood it. Now, now, Tony, whenever you and I played, it never really came close to happening. The defender won pretty easily each time. Mm-hmm. And I will say that, For me personally, I think that when you play first time, 
it's going to be easier for the defender to win than for the attacker. Yeah, I agree with you there. Unless you make some poor judgments on the use of your time and how to to defeat his forces. But I will say this, you know, they've released some FAQs. They've released some Chevys, released some very nice sheets on um, Stronghold out there on BGG Con for um, one quick hit, especially when it talks about like the various defender actions explained or the attacker actions explained, you can quickly look at those and reference those. Those have really helped out this game. And I will say that, you know, for me, I look at this and I'm like, man, I can feel the intensity building as the rounds progress because it's not a constant thing. People are like, oh, he'll always kill me. No, it builds. It, it comes down to turn six and seven no matter what you did on defense. I, I just feel that way, Marty, because it's it, it, you can't stop it all, just like you would when you see in the movies and those sieges on castles. You can't always stop it all the time. There's something's going to get to the walls. That's right, and that's part of the long-term strategy of the attacker. You probably don't want to focus all your energy just on one wall because, well, the defender will just block that one wall. It's kind of a sneak thing, right? I'm going to make you defend over here, but I'm really working to attack you from the other side of the castle and try to get in that way. So that's why I was sitting there saying that it's probably harder for the attacker to win first time because, like I said, you can switch out all those cards I was mentioning during each turn until you play through it once or twice. You don't even know what you really have to work with, whereas the uh, defender, you can just sit there and say, okay, he's getting ready to bring a bunch of goblins to this or this orcs to this wall. So I'm just going to put an orc cauldron to, to kill them off when they get there because I know exactly what's coming. But don't you feel the intensity continues to build? through the turns. Oh, there's no doubt. It's it's stressful. It's stressful as the attacker because it's like, I've only got two turns. And I don't think I can do this. And it's stressful as the defender because you and I have played both sides of like, oh, I've got to still make it through tur- two turns and I see a huge bunch of cubes coming right towards me. And is that where your attack's going to be? And that was my mistake when I was playing the attacker against you. I eased up. I said, oh, I've got this on this side. And you were able to do that unholy blinding holy thing yeah basically which which negates one attack from one side of the wall one turn now that cost a lot to use but it's one of those things you can just totally protect one wall from being attacked one turn but you can only do it on, on one wall tony this game is everything that i wanted it to be in the in a two-player game it i was excited about it and we finally got to play it and we were so honored to be able to be taught by ignacy how to play it it's one of those things that we got to gloss over the rule book issues because he taught us. Right. So we didn't see a lot of the things we we're talking about until we came home and played again and went and looked up stuff. But this is everything that I really wanted the game to be. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, that and coming home in our failing memories, we forgot half of it. But that's okay. Um, I agree with you. It was everything I wanted. And as I learned more and more what each of the things do, and I put it in the memory banks, this game goes from that two-hour play, I think, with you and I, to a one-hour play, don't you think? Potentially, yeah. Once you get everything set up, and I think, no, I think you're probably right, because once the attacker understands how all his cards work, he'll spend less time reading through them. It's like, this turn, I want to switch this, this, this. Let's go. And the defender, I'm going to place this, this, this here. I'm putting them here. Boom. The hold up is going to be the calculations on the wall but once everybody understands the points and the strengths bam 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 i think for you and i 
this is a game where it will come in and say, hey, we got about an hour, hour and a half to play a game. What do we want to do? How do we want to end the night? Bam, stronghold. Let's put it on the table. I agree. And like I said, it's going to be hard pressed for me to find another Euro style game with this much theme that really, really works. When you're playing, you feel like as the attacker, you're sending guys in to try to take over a castle. And as the defender, you're just trying to strengthen up and hold them back as much as you can. I never thought of it as pushing cubes or managing resources. I honestly thought I was either being attacked or being or having to defend. So on the RO scale, and I will caveat mine, that as long as you've got a good buddy like I do, it is a must buy. You've got to have that other individual who enjoys games and enjoys two-player games as much as you do. Buy this game. You're going to enjoy it. It comes out in February on most of the retail sites. Some already have it in early here. I 100% agree. This is, again, if you have somebody to play, a must buy. This is the one of the best Euros that feels like a combat battle game without any chucking dice that I can even think of. It really feels like there's a battle going on in the battlefield. And also, Tony and I love our asymmetric games, just like we love Netrunner because both sides are totally different. These two sides are totally different too, which is what really cranks up the scale for me even more. Marty, I don't know, but did you go out and read a recent post by Ignacy over at Portal and talked about his 2015 and how he thanked everybody for all that occurred this past year? And he even went out there and said, hey, we made some mistakes, but we're going to do better in 2016. You know, that was a really humble blog that he posted. And yeah, I would think it was great. He's talking about all the great things they did in 2015, all the shows they got to go to and how they've grown. But he's looked back at 2015 and said, you know, there's some things that we need to do better. And I know one of them he was talked about was actually rule books. And hopefully we'll be talking a little bit about that. But I mean, we've got Legacy came out. Rattle Battle, Ties of Time, all these names you'll hear again in one of our upcoming episodes when we do our awards. Do you get it now? Fortress around your heart. The fortress is the stronghold. We had already used Love as a Battlefield, so I couldn't use that one, dude. <laughs> fortress around your heart. So who's the attacker trying to attack my heart? I don't I don't know, man. I was just I was just looking for things. Well, I didn't know if you looked at the lyrics. I didn't know if Sting was trying to, you know, tell you something. No, Sting doesn't tell me anything. Okay. So Great start to 2016, guys. Really looking forward to some of the shows. We're excited this year, assuming everything continues to work well between me and Marty and we continue to like each other. We'll get 100 episode in. That's right. It should be scheduled for some time. And actually looking at the calendar that Tony has already set up for us, if we stay on our bi-weekly schedule, it will be September 6th. Well, you know, I got to have a game plan, man. You know me. I've got to get it out there. Definitely. We got to get San Juan on the table. We've got to figure out when we're going to record some five-minute initiatives. We've just got... The year's going to be halfway gone before we get anything done. <laughs> I know. we got a lot on our plate. We're very excited about our upcoming award show. It's uh, the first of its kind. We've never done anything like this, and this may totally blow up in our face. That's why we're not going to say too much about it now, because after you hear it, you may go, wow, that was really, really bad, guys. <laughs> and if everything goes well with me, um, and then you guys are willing to do it, I uh, hope to get a survey out for everybody, Marty, um, so we can do another survey out there and continue to take the input from our tremendous guild and get their input on how to make the show better, especially in 2016. Well, not just the guild, but our Facebook group, anybody on Twitter. So it's going to be open for everybody. Okay, I can still get to our guild at work. 
I have no ability to get to Facebook or Twitter or any of that. We don't want to ignore those hundreds of people out there that are using Facebook. I know that, but I understand. So for me, it's it's all about the guild. So once again, guys, it's been looking forward to 2016. Hope you enjoyed the start of the year with us. Just do me a favor. Keep rolling dice. And taking names. Thanks for listening to RDTN. Follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names. Visit our website, RollDiceTakeNames.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Roll Dice Take Names. Visit our BGG Guild. Like us on Facebook. While Marty's off getting something to drink, I'm going to have dessert. I'm eating a turtle that was put in a Christmas stocking. Turtles, if you don't know what they are, are they are caramel covered chocolates and they're got nuts in them and they're really good so while i eat this i also need to go get something to drink marty's been hacking along oh here he comes Shh, be quiet so if our stronghold review really made you want to say i want this game Go out to Fun Again Games. They're one of the few retailers out there that currently has any Stronghold 2nd Editions in stock for you to purchase right now. Not Cool Stuff Inc., not Miniature Market, but Fun Again Games does have Stronghold in stock right now. Marty, you got anything? Oh, yeah. Actually, they have something else in, in stock that not a lot of people have, and that's Deluvia Project from Spielworks. So if you're interested in that, so it was released at Essen 2015, go check it out. It's Deluvia Project at funagaingames.com. 